I'm Bucky. I'm Izzy. And this is Under Deconstruction. Today we're talking about what it's like to walk away from a traditional career path and into a creative one. Is this a common millennial experience? And are millennials even a thing? So give us a little bit of background information. Where'd you go to college? Um, kind of where'd you go to high school even maybe? Or if you don't want to reveal the exact location, um, kind of what were your expectations like coming out of high school, going into college and then completing college? Kind of give sure. us the lowdown, a little bit of introduction here. Sure, so I grew up in San Diego, California um, my whole life and I went to high school imagining that I would be a writer and I had these great creative goals that I was going to, I didn't know exactly what I was going to write, but I knew that I would write something and it would be successful. I remember taking creative writing courses over the summers and then class like during the year. Um, and, and this really is when you're a senior them. in high school. This is when I'm a senior in high school and I'm applying to colleges as an English major. Um, I started to realize though that maybe that wasn't the best choice um, career-wise, because there's sort of this con um, conception that or this there's this idea that English majors are making poor financial decisions by spending a ton of money in college to read books and not really have an employable um, resume afterward. Uh, so I fell for that absolutely, and I don't really think that I regret not doing that because it's in some ways true. So I ended up majoring in sociology and Spanish and I went to college up in Los Angeles at Occidental College. And uh, throughout my time there, I really started getting passionate about sociology and passionate about um, social justice at the same time, um, which I think served me, that major served me well in that regard as I like developed my political values and um, interests. And then I thought about what kind of careers, quote unquote, real careers can come out of being in a sociology major. And law was the one that seemed the most prestigious and legitimate. And I was pulled into that sort of um, perspective, I think, by the culture of my college. Um, There's a lot of pressure to always be working the hardest. Whoever doesn't sleep and whoever's on the most caffeine and drugs to get through everything is working the hardest and therefore the most impressive. And in that environment, I think I felt like going to law school was going to be just this big moment, like this shining star moment where everyone's like, wow, like she's a hard worker. She, you know, is going to have this traditional success and everyone's going to admire her for that and that was appealing to me because that's what I had been surrounded by and this expectation that those are the only kind of careers that get any respect um, I think of it as the LinkedIn culture <laughs> like mm -hmm. people who are very yeah. obsessed with these labels and um, career growth in a traditional path um, I liked it and I bought into it yeah. So that's one of the main reasons why I went to law school, which I masqueraded as wanting to help people, not because I didn't really want to, but I think I, I think I was willing to overlook any shortcomings that the legal field has in terms of actually helping communities in order to have a career that was going to earn me some kind of social respect from people. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you're in a place of, um, of isolation with where you find yourself. I think more and more people uh, that are 
have gone down the path that you're describing, including myself. You and I had very similar paths, and I'll tell you all about that in just a second here. But um, I don't think it's a, a fault of yours. You know, it's uh, everything is a learning a learning process. Everything is something that you are experiencing, consolidating into a, a lesson or a meaning or what something that you've gained from it, and then you know moving forward and going to law school if you had never done that you wouldn't be here today and you would have nearly the same type of an understanding of both sides of the in and out of what it does mean to be in the profession of law per se right um but you're i think you're absolutely onto something where there's this this societal expectation uh or kind of a rubric or uh a systemization of ideals that if you can check as many boxes that you've achieved a certain ideal in the eyes of society you then therefore gain prestige in the society and with prestige comes all the you know uh all the seven circles of dante's inferno uh <laughs> as much alcohol as you want greed lust whatever the fuck <laughs> like it's it's all there for you so Society sets you up with um, a seemingly faulty set of ideals that you must experience the emptiness of in order to fully understand how empty they truly are. So Absolutely. it's not until you come to terms with the realization of, oh, money isn't everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, me going to law school or wanting to be in law school was for, you know, reasons X, Y, Z that were completely determined by societal pressure, mm -hmm. none of which are coming from my own innate desire to do something, right. you know? Um, but yeah, I think, I think what you're talking about there is really interesting and highly pertinent to most people graduating nowadays. And my question to you is like, like what determines what is what determines what society accepts as a respectable thing to do because i don't think that that is necessarily the <laughs> the guidepost that people should be using um i think and i think more people are figuring this out is that the guidepost you need to be utilizing is your own inner uh sense of self-worth and meaning and if you can kind of orient yourself to that inner kind of guidance rather than external guidance that's what leads to happiness and happiness isn't going to be on a yacht with billions of dollars that's not happiness happiness is th something you doing things daily that bring meaning to your life you know and so it's like it's unfortunate <laughs> that our society doesn't that's not how our society instructs us. Our society instructs us to achieve external commodities. You know? Absolutely. So. Well, and I think it's just um, an expectation based on our economic system too, right? That um, I sort of envisioned it as this rule, at least for law students, and I've seen it in other fields like the medical field and you know politics and stuff. But you need to get a really lucrative and impressive job and you should do it quickly mm -hmm. or people are going to think you're slacking yep. so you better get it a couple years no out of school at year. most yeah you can't take a year off like no, they do in no. australia none of that no because then you're going to lose valuable time because you need to get on that grind and it needs to be 
for the entirety of your working life until you retire. This idea of you can sleep in 20 years, you can sleep in 30 years, you know, think about it then. Passions are for weekends, but they're not for your day job because, and the only reason that is true for a lot of people is because money is the goal. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and if you find some aspect of your career fulfilling, good for you. But if you don't, too bad. So I have a a quick question if I can interrupt then. Um, So pertaining back to our original question of like going from a kind of more traditional, um, you said under the guise of like wanting to help people, right? You went into law because it was your understanding of a way that you could help people. So see, it's like coming from a genuine place, but then how does that turn into a creative kind of more ideal that you've um, have been pursuing? Like that's what happened to me too, right? We both come from a place of wanting to help people that then changes into something more of still wanting to help people, but through our own creative, sure, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, and I, I think that at the end of the day, I have always been passionate about being an advocate for people like me in different areas of my identity and for people who are not often listened to or acknowledged, and that has never changed. But I think I was willing to... Um, ignore the ways that the law actually oppresses those people and will never really change on a large scale just because that's the nature of it um, in order to pursue a path that would satisfy those around me while still kind of falling under this category of advocacy. But I'm recognizing now that I need to broaden my definition of, of advocacy work because through my writing, you know, whether I'm writing children's books that are about transracial adoption for other kids and their parents to read that's going to be life-changing for them in a way that I didn't have growing up or you know blogging and sharing um, ideas with other adoptees online like we're changing a narrative in a way that's really um, inspiring and and very meaningful to other younger adoptees who didn't have that that um, support at home maybe I, I hear a lot of people feeling Um, that they are being advocated for by the things we're saying and the things we're writing about. And there's, you know, there's a lot of growth to be had in that field that I'm really excited for. Um, None of us are doing necessarily um, a master's or a PhD. None of us are in law. Some people may be, but, you know, they're all creative people that I'm uh, talking to and communicating with online now about this. And they're advocates too. And their work is important too. And I'm really happy that I'm now able to validate that both within myself and in others, that you don't have to be in some sort of traditionally um, respected career in order to do meaningful work. And I would even argue that, I would argue that you get, you can do more meaningful work through a creative endeavor than you can through the traditional endeavor. Like, I would agree. Uh, you could spend your whole life becoming a lawyer and or becoming a politician or doing whatever and you get you know healthcare passed <laughs> you're that's pushing your against whole, an immovable system. yeah that's your entire life was spent to change one rule in a bunch of rules that were written down by people who were born before you right there is not you're not fighting against the laws of nature to like invent a new thing you're not, <laughs> you're literally fighting against a construct that was put in place by people just like you. And so right. you can spend your entirety of your life trying to change one injustice within a 
a pre-constructed thing we call governance. Right. You could spend your whole life trying to change one rule within that. Or you could do one creative endeavor, like create one book that inspires millions of people who read it. And if not millions of people who read it, maybe it inspires one person who reads it, who happens to be a teacher, who then takes your meaningful creative piece and utilizes it and embodies it within themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's the creative endeavor is the higher... For the higher form of of advocacy it is the the high art uh and law and the and words and numbers are the the low art of logistics right, right. <laughs> the, the creative endeavor you will never be able to pinpoint exactly what is being it's not one plus one equals two it's an entire concept being delivered that is then taking on a life of its own right rather than dead life being forced onto you which is what law is law is nothing is living mm -hmm. nothing is embodying that it is a body of work that is dead that people are trying to manipulate and fix in certain ways there's no life there right you don't get to build anything new no. within the law which i think i remember finding very frustrating at school because i wanted to ask questions about things and say why are things the way they are or well what does it mean and either professors had no real answer or they didn't want me to talk about it too much because they're like that's not on the final yeah. so why do you care yeah you know and being asked to essentially consent to upholding a system that's been written not for everyone which i cannot stress that enough that these a lot of these laws and a lot of our government or our you know, nation's founding documents were intentionally not written for every single person that ever has set foot on this land and, to get, and that's ridiculous yeah, and to be a little light on the founding fathers like it's impossible to write a document that's going to encompass you know 300 million people under right. one rule of law there's just too many people there like but that, even having the point where it was biased you have people yeah exactly yeah. and having people be like we want this nation to be built on, you know, liberty and freedom and everything, but also I own humans. So anyway, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it's not a great place to start. And it's not to say that there are not great things that have grown. And, and also there are a lot of incredible judges and lawyers in history who have, you know, changed the game yeah. um, in remarkable ways. And their, their impact on the law is noticeable and it's incredible you know if you think about someone like ruth bader ginsburg or anybody like that who has changed the game in a big way they've done it i get that and i am not discounting that in any yeah. way it's just that i i was personally buying into this notion that that was the only way yeah. to do that and that's honestly not the best utilization of every individual's skills yeah. not every person can be Ruth some, some people or, might be you know but, but not every people won't be <laughs> so then does that leave us all scrambling for you know scraps or does it mean that we can open our minds to other possibilities of career paths and of just life paths that can be towards the same ends but without the same means as someone like that yeah and i mean i'll give you just an example of earlier this morning like so there's I mean, my so my backstory, just to fill in the blank here, is I went to um, South Pasadena High School in East L.A. That's where I grew up. I was born in Santa Monica, grew up in East L.A., and then I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo for computer engineering. I uh, was told by all, you know, in the orientation, was had one of the 
recruiters from Apple, one of the recruiters from Google, one of the recruiters from you know Amazon, all there trying to handpick the next generation of technocrats out of the <laughs> one of the you know highest highest end tech schools that were in California, and I did one quarter of that and realized very quickly it was not I, I could care less about the hundred thousand dollars that they were promising that I would be getting out of college I didn't enjoy it it wasn't enjoyable I was doing things I didn't like to do so then I changed my major to political science and philosophy graduated with that and ever since I've been immensely more happy in every way of life I wake up every day look out my window and I'm completely in awe of how beautiful life is and just how lucky I am and I don't make any money like I make very little money I work essentially a minimum wage job I make close to I make under what would be considered uh, maybe high end lower class right. <laughs> maybe living more like a low end low class right, living. Yeah. point being I there are very f seldom any moments that I uh, am unhappy with the with my life currently and that's because for the past 10 years of my life since I've graduated you know call it maybe not 10 years but for the past several years of my life since I've gradu graduated college my focus hasn't been on trying to progress through what society deems is the progression route my entirety of my life is is checking in on my inner my inner well-being every day Make, seeing what that guy wants to do. <laughs> Not what the fucking person outside, living, wherever, told me what to do. It's, hey buddy, good morning. What do you want to do today? What make what will make you happy today? Dude, you know what will make me happy today? Going to the fucking beach and not doing anything. All right, we're going to do that today. But won't people, like you had a commitment with this person and uh, there's somebody's texting. Uh, nope. Nope. They don't come first. I come first. My happiness and well-being comes first. The cherry on top is the people that you surround your, yourself with and the, the creative production you're able to put into the world to help other people get to where, like, you know that they can be. Like, right. I so, think when you're on that path, more and more days you wake up and do feel like creating and do feel like you have ideas. Yeah. And, I mean, this, wasn't, this podcast wasn't even an yeah. idea until we got to spend lots of time just having conversations yeah. and, you know, relaxing and thinking about things and opening our minds and, like... Thing, creative things grow only out of that space, yeah, I think. absolutely. And to, again, loop it back to what we were just talking about a little bit a little bit ago. So it's, that's all, you know, the computer science path. That's the, that's, I also, when I was going into political science, I was trying to be a diplomat. I was going to model United Nations in New York. I was going to model United Nations in Berkeley. I wanted to be, I was in international relations as a concentration. I was trying to become like an international diplomat because I wanted to help as many people as I could. Mm -hmm. That's not how you do it though. It's, you have to help as many people as you can, <laughs> not your dream of helping and saving the world as like this savior complex. Right. It's, you have to start from your first save yourself. <laughs> Once you can figure out like your own thing, then you have maybe enough respect and understanding to maybe help one or two of your friends. Right. And then you maybe have enough respect to help a few other people in your community. Right. So it's working from you out instead of right. 
being scattered like a diaspora to the winds, not having yes. enough control over anything to do anything and feeling completely unhinged. Yes, that's, and that's actually something that I feel and am called to do religiously. Yeah. In Islam, that's how you're meant to approach changing the world or yeah. helping people is starting from yourself and growing outward. Yeah. Because you can't offer as much to these expanding circles around you until you've got your own shit figured out, Absolutely. essentially. Or your own well-being, uh, being in touch with your own well-being and taking care of yourself and your family and your friends 100%. and it grows. Yeah, and so then, again, going back to what we were talking about, about the, like, can you make a more meaningful impact in terms of even advocacy or whatever um, through the more traditional m methods or not? For example, this morning, there's a, a Spanish teacher. I mean, I speak Spanish mildly, very not fluently, <laughs> but I have taken many, many years of Spanish. Me too. And I distinctly remember in 10th grade, uh, one Spanish teacher, um, I guess I'll leave his name out, but uh, he, was a, just, he was just a very, one of the best teachers I've ever had to, or been privileged to experience. He was the type of teacher that it wasn't about the lesson plan. It wasn't about getting A's. It wasn't about any of the traditional things. It was about, he was there to help us and become more well-rounded and informed people. I had a Spanish teacher like that yeah. too. <laughs> and so every day when we'd go into class, it doesn't matter what was happening during the day, one, and this became like a thing. He, at the beginning of class, one of the students might ask like a philosophical question. He would literally drop everything that was supposed to happen for the day, any lesson plan, out the window. Now we're talking about this philosophical topic. And he completely turned the class into like a philosophy class yes. for however long we wanted. There was no limit. We could have literally gone the whole hour and a half class without doing a single thing in Spanish, even though it was Spanish class. Now, if a if like the principal was in there listening to that would they be happy about that probably not because he's supposed to be teaching spanish but 10 years later here i am on this podcast still talking about that teacher who impacted me to such an extent that this literally this morning i was so i just was remembering how or just thinking about how much he has impacted my life. And so this morning I went onto my high school website, found his email, sent him an email just saying, hey, this is a former student of yours. Like, you probably don't remember me, um, but I just wanted to let you know and thank you for everything you taught and everything you did for me. And I even brought up like a, um, a specific example of where we were talking about how do people like understand things and how do you understand like complicated things. And to this day, 10 years later, I still remember he brought up the example of like an ant, um, like us trying to, like humans trying to understand bi these big concepts is equivalent to like an ant trying to do calculus. Like that one example that he brought when I was, I don't know, like in 10th grade, you know, stuck with me to such an extent that it still influences me to this day. Was any of that traditional? No. A hundred percent of it was heart-based, internal, connective love. <laughs> like, and it, it circled back to him. Yeah. And so I made sure to make it circle back to him, to let him know, like, again, that was a random thing he said in one class, one minute of one day. He's been teaching for decades. <laughs> that type of a thing happens infinitely throughout every day he teaches. So the ripples of positive effect that that teacher is like creating by teaching 
by being a true teacher, not being by breaking these, the rules, by break technically <laughs> being technically a bad teacher, right. but in true reality, a fantastic gem of a teacher. By doing that, he's creating infinite amount of positive intellectual change, more so than anybody could ever do pursuing like becoming a diplomat like I wanted to do or be, being a lawyer or being whatever thing you think that is going to be able to affect positive change. You never know just how meaningful one creative thing, one breaking the mold type of thing, one teaching from the heart type of a thing will like have on people. On people. Around you. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I think actually that makes me think that or reflect on how after I left law school, um, you know, the news gradually spread among our class yeah. that in our section, I guess, that that I was leaving. And I had about four or five people who were the only people I had really connected with because they had similar values and similar passions contact me individually and say that they felt inspired by what I had done by leaving. They felt that it was brave and they felt that they felt validated in their own concerns and fears and insecurities about the field that someone was able to walk away and say, no, I don't have to do that. And for some people that I had someone tell me I've, I'm in it too deep. I'm a year ahead of you and I can't get out. Some people financially, it was too much, you know, um, that's unfortunately the case for a lot of people. Um, but of several people said to me that what I did, which was so scary to me and was freaking me out at the time, meant a lot to them as a witness. And that's something that I didn't realize would have an effect on the people around me. And even people that aren't in law school have told me Absolutely. what you did has inspired me to do what I want to do or to, you know, question what I'm doing or think of another way to do things that's more in line with my own values or passions. And I didn't mean to do that. I mean, when it was happening to me, I was having mental breakdown. Like I was having panic attacks in class. I didn't want to be there. I I had to leave mainly for that reason because I just something felt very wrong in my gut. So it was a terrible time for me, but I didn't realize that um, my moment of breaking the mold and breaking the rules was going to have this positive ripple effect on people around me, which is incredible. Yeah, I mean, and you, you can see why it's so difficult to do that though, because like we've been programmed since birth to be pursuing certain things. And so when you break that pursuit, everything in your everything around you is telling you that you're doing something bad or like this is you are failing currently um and the thing is is that what you persisted through and what life like essentially promotes or loves is somebody who follows their their truth or follows that deep thing inside of you that was t telling you this isn't what I want to be doing I want to do something else and you were are going to be rewarded and are being rewarded for choosing that by over the comfortable choice of continuing to pursue law and I, d I think you're just going to be getting rewarded by that in happiness like in every day you know like it's doing something that is in alignment with who you are truly is always <laughs> in every way more important than doing anything for an external good if that's money so be it 
it's not going to bring the the level of fulfillment and happiness that doing something that you know is right inside of you you know it right. will bring i mean does it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like a creative thing i think that's no. just what you and i both fell to because that's what or not even fell but transitioned to because right. that's what you and i are maybe more drawn to than what we were doing before sure you know? i mean that's what i was doing as a child and as a young person that's yeah. was what i felt drawn to yeah exactly um so i think I don't know. I don't I don't think there's necessarily a, a prescription for every person, but I do think that there's more and more people who are being sold the promise of a college degree and the promise of like admiration and elation and money and happiness if they just do X, Y, and Z and finding out that when they do X, Y, and Z, it might bring them those things. It might not bring them those things, but what it definitely doesn't bring <laughs> in most cases is happiness and fulfillment which is pretty big <laughs> which yes. is like two of the biggest things in life that you're trying to kind of like satiate because that's all, all you sit with on your deathbed yeah and i you bring up a good point about the deathbed i mean if you can orient yourself into that headspace to a significant of enough of an extent <laughs> then you can you can get a, a very good kind of clarity as to what you want out of your life. So like when I'm sitting, like for me, I'm, and again, I'm not the, I'm not a saint or anything. Like there's definitely days that are shittier than other days. Sure. And there's a lot Absolutely. of shitty people on the, on the planet. And sure. there's, you know, they still are shitty. Right. And it's just, it's just a matter of you're no longer dependent upon other people's viewing of you yes. or other people's shit <laughs> that, that their shit no longer affects you because right. you're operating from your own place of foundation rather than depending upon adulation from others like right. instagram isn't about you it's about getting respect from what society deems good right right <laughs> so here i am at the wild poppy flower bloom yeah. in the mountains like of la look at me i'm taking like a selfie with all these orange flowers that just bloomed from the super bloom like that's a hundred percent horseshit and every like great <laughs> like you know <laughs> it detracts from it did not only detracts from the beauty of the flowers that you are in the picture with the flowers but the fact that you think that it's making you look prettier is even more disgusting so like those are all things that are pertaining to this dependency on external validation, validation. right that's the key issue that needs to change right <laughs> and i think like one thing that that has always concerned me and made me not want to talk about this all the time is that I feel like a, a response or a rebuttal to what maybe I've been saying or what we've been saying here is like, well, some of us have to do this or that. Like some of us have to do a traditional career or a, you know, uh, more respectable path for financial reasons. And, you know, I understand that that is something that was a call for a, like a lot of other um students that were in law school with me who were also um, either they were low income or they were also people of color or they were, you know, um, first generation. And it, it meant a lot to them both financially and like family wise to, to make this step and to, to pursue this degree. But I just don't think 
so it's necessarily worth it. Yeah. So let, can I inter, let me yeah so, because I have a thing. Yeah. yeah no. So I a hundred. So first off, there's one thing that I think this podcast can stand for, and that is um, both you and I are very open-minded people, and we don't adhere to we I me personally I don't want to speak for you but me personally and I'm pretty sure you're the same I don't adhere to anything I don't I'm not a I'm not a thing <laughs> I'm not a Democrat I'm not a Republican I'm not a right. whatever I'm not I there's no I have no identifying label and there's a reason for that it's because I don't know anything <laughs> right and you're not so proclaiming I, you're professing to know I don't even know how the fuck I got born like yeah. <laughs> I don't know shit I'm a very stupid human going back to what my 10th grade teacher taught me it's like we're fucking ants trying to do calculus, you know? Like we're just not going to get it's the calculus is there. It's that's happening at a certain level of understanding, but like I'm a fucking stupid human. Our entire I, life is going to be trying to figure yeah, it out. So an attempt. So first get let that's there. So Sure. I think it's absolutely correct to take the other account or the other perspective into account of the I need to do it, you know? I need this job because of my I, I need the financing for it uh, except it, that it doesn't work that way because the reality is at least for law you are going to go into so much debt and walk into a frankly a work field that has very little opportunities yeah. for the amount of students that are coming out of school into this field and especially with public interest you yeah. want to help people now you're saddled with this debt and your jobs that are available for you, if you can even get one, because they're very competitive in public public interest law, um, are not going to pay you hardly anything. So you'll never be able to pay those loans off, which was a reality I was facing down. But then everyone says, oh, it's OK. There's the public service loan forgiveness program. Then Trump says, no, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not so much. So there's already then a threat to that. But so see, the reality is you're walking into something that's not even really going to financially pay off if yeah. you really want to make that argument. But, yeah, but that's just my view of you do, it. I know, you're correct. And, but do you see the common underlying issue with all of these things is dependency. Yes. So there's... Uh, that, that is the, the number one. <laughs> that's the number one issue that is negatively affecting most... If you're in a situation that has a negative effect on you, it is because you have had a previous dependency upon the thing that is now negatively affecting you. You're right. either not receiving enough anymore from that thing that you were dependent upon uh or it's just having a harmful effect on you in some way sure. because you depend upon it and there's no other you're stuck depending upon it right so with law for example they i don't think it's nefarious no. maybe i don't think it's a hundred percent nefarious like they're not going out of their way to sell people on you should go into law it's like you'll ma make money and blah right. blah to some extent they are yeah Corporate there is, law is yeah definitely there is like that. there is a nefarious aspect to it but i think it's also just how things have evolved like the universities used to be a prestigious institution that only a few people got into right and like that's what creates value and so right. when you have more and more and more thousands of people that are getting law degrees and the number keeps increasing and now there's a bunch of schools that have law people with law degrees and it just you devalue by oversaturating yeah and so like where discrimination is a good thing is in creating value where discrimination is a bad thing is in creating value where there is valuelessness like, right right like and discrimination in, in terms of determining um who goes where and yeah. and the fact that 
it's not that okay because in the past you know universities and things like that were places that held more value because less people went but also who was allowed to go was based on this these valueless you exactly. know, things like gender race and things so like that so the discrimination was good in the sense that it was key, it was creating a valued position in society right. but, but it we was highly it, uh, it was awful in the way that it was discriminating who was allowed to get into those positions right and i think that something that comes out of that is that other types of jobs that aren't academic are devalued. Yeah. And if every job was seen as equally valuable in society and was paid accordingly and respected accordingly, then we wouldn't need to oversaturate. Everyone needs to go to college. You need a degree. Because no, you don't. There's a lot of things that you could do that if they had more respect and more, you know, uh, like better wages, that everybody could participate in their own way in society. And and it wouldn't oversaturate the academic field and it wouldn't devalue other types of careers. And that's just something that I don't know could ever well, be restored. No, and it again goes back to the Instagram thing I was talking about. So I, I was alluding to it earlier, but in California, we've recently had the like the wild poppy or wild California poppy wildflower bloom or whatever, super bloom, because we've had like a ridiculous amount of rain this yes. year. And so in the past that's been like a really really cool thing that ha is happens rarely that like when it happens people go and visit it they have a good time they have a picnic and they come home we are now in the era of instagram where it is the same effect that we were talking about with colleges where or with degrees that have been devalued now and experiences are becoming devalued because now an Instagram model goes to the wild poppy super bloom thing, takes a photo of themselves there, posts on Instagram, reaches millions of people, millions of people want to replicate this seemingly good time that's being promoted via a... It's a, being commodified. <laughs> via a souped up photo. And so now everybody goes, and I just read an article the other day, somebody flew a helicopter, in, and they've been having trouble because people have been trampling the poppies and killing all the flowers. Right. And so it's gotten so bad, literally someone flew a helicopter and landed in the poppy seed field, killed a bunch of them, frolicked in the flowers to get their picture, and then when the police came to get the helicopter, they flew off in the helicopter. And so, like, this is the same thing, where, like, something that was cool and special from before that only, like, a few people went to and were like, hey, you guys should check this out, it's a really cool spot. And, like, by word of mouth, you know, it's it filtered certain people got the word of mouth certain people didn't now it's just this is the thing that we all should be uh, trying to achieve society and then all of society goes to it and it becomes devalued because well, all now, we're really doing is rushing from one fad to exactly the next and, and endless like race but if you're the person who finds that new fad you you benefit from virality like yes, your you thing your thing it. just went viral and like the first 10 percent of people who attached onto your new viral thing all profit and then right. after that it's diminishing returns and so that's what everything in society is now so like a college degree is i'm getting a law degree but if you're part of that first 10 percent that got law degrees you're a highly valued lawyer if you're part of the most recent 10 million people who've gotten law degrees then you're fucking who gives a shit you have to be the number one out of 10 million in right. order to be the like a fucking thing right but the, again the point to bring it home the big issue is dependency <laughs> yes. and it even go it's the heart crux of the issue because with people going back to what we were talking about with people who say i have to get into law due to financial reasons okay why do you have 
what's your financial issue and the <laughs> your it's a there's an assumption already being made the assumption is that i need to make money <laughs> right. that is you're already committing yourself to being a sub a subject you're already subjecting yourself to I need this. You don't right. need money. <laughs> you need food. You need water. You need a roof over your head. And you need security. Right. <laughs> and maybe electricity if you really want to get right. things going spicy-like. Right. <laughs> and the Like, those are the... That's what you are actually dependent upon as a human body. Sure. Money is an easier method of, a, of acquiring... Those, those Or resources. satiating those dependencies. Sure. So... When a system reduces five bodily avenues of dependency to one thing called money, they control that. Like, right. you are now under control. <laughs> right. You are, and I'm under control. I'm not better than it. I'm fully under control. <laughs> but the point being is that these perceived, I have to make, I have to make money. Yes, it, there, I, I mean, I'm pretty poor. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot but like of, there's, we do have to make there's some billions amounts. of people who are way more poor than I am. Sure. And I'm very, very fortunate with the life I have, even so, um, at a minimum wage living. But the, the assumption that you need to make a certain amount of money is predicated upon this, all this already like first subjugation of self to society. So, like, if you can just understand that off the bat and realize, like, very first and foremost, I am already agreeing in a social, con like, contract from the day I'm born, I'm agreeing to subjugate myself to this system True. by participating in their, their economy, by doing anything that's participating within a society, you are sub subjugating yourself to that. So, with that understanding, you can move a little bit easier and kind of truly trying to figure out, okay, what's a base amount of money that I actually truly need in order to survive? Right. Okay. Once you have that survival kind of quota met, whether it's through fuck everything, I'm going to do it myself. It could be that, which is really hard. Yes. <laughs> and you have to like go to the middle of Nebra like Nebraska to do it. Like right. they've made it literally as hard as possible on purpose. Um, you can do it that way, or you can figure out a way where you're kind of still working with the system, subjecting yourself to it, while at the same time trying to remove yourself from as many things of dependency as possible. Right. Anytime you go in for a master's degree and take out a hundred grand loan, that's a hundred thousand dollars worth of dependency you've just committed to. <laughs> like right. now, you know, so these are all snares and it traps and tricks of trade and shadow play right. as well, Bobby or, Lee would say or even just like uh, symbols of success like yeah. uh, tangible symbols like I think a lot of times when people including myself as I have in the past imagine like wanting to make enough money to live comfortably that definition for a lot of people does mean a lot of um, tangible symbols of success that aren't really necessary exactly. like a nicer car exactly. or a bigger house or you know all these things that you need according to the system to have uh to prove your success to the people around you and when you start to reduce those things 
yeah, you're going to maybe lose some social prestige because people are going to be wondering why you don't have those things, but you're but those are getting people, more in touch yeah. with the key <laughs> things that you need. And if you're being true, uh, you don't want to be, you don't want to have want prestige to. with those people. Like those people are misguided and they're, right. and they're like, like their judgment shouldn't matter as much to you. Well, it, sure. I mean, it, they can judge all they want. It's like, <laughs> I'm not, again, it, it goes back to the place of like, I'm not living my life for you. <laughs> sure. I'm living it for me. Like I right. could give less of a, less of a, you know, a shit if right. my prestige doesn't, and I, you know, you're going to lose friends, you know, that's just how it works. But like the, the point you have to get to in your mind is like, it's a commitment problem. It's just like, are you more committed to yourself or to the fake version of yourself? It's right. like, if you're more committed to the fake version of yourself, which is actually what other people have created you as being, <laughs> right. then, you know, then you're gonna latitudes have to keep buying into galore. Those. Sure, yeah. absolutely. But if you're trying to be you, regardless of what that means externally, then, you know, sorry, dude. Sorry, you're you don't. <laughs> sorry, you don't want to talk to me because I'm not. I don't make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. Have fun with your life. <laughs> right. And I think that I I don't think it's that far fetched because I know people who have kids, have spouses, have you know creative passions or other kind of things that they pursue in their life. They have a home. They have enough food, but they're not living under that pressure. And they're focusing on the things that matter to them, their relationships, their connections, you know, um, the things they care about, the things that help them sleep easy at night. And they're able to do that and still live. And so I, I feel like I can hear some people almost protesting like, well, but, you know, we need this, this and this to live or to succeed. But I think there's. Well, no, yeah, a I'm, lot of confusion about that. But I, I, yeah, and I don't I, think it's unrealistic what you're proposing. No, but I also take into account as well that you know, like <laughs> leaving society behind and saying "f you" to water, you know, electricity and comfy beds and air conditioning. Like, I don't think it's a all or nothing type of a deal. Absolutely. There's not. like a, it's a again, like everything, it's a give and take with both sides of the of the issue. It's sure. not like all the way money or like all the way or no the money grid. it's yeah. like some there's some intermediary area in between that i think is the sweet spot of like sure. you make enough money to do the things you need to do in participating in society to the extent you want to like while at the same time being removed from it enough that if the shit hit the fan or like let's say you lose your job or like you get to a point in your job where they're making, they're saying, hey man, if you want to stay with the company, you're going to have to do something that you're not going to be happy about doing, but you're going to have to do it. And if you get to that point, you want to be able to be independent enough to stand by your own morality exactly. and principles and be like, no, fucker, I'm not going to fucking, I'm not going to screw over these other guys because you want me to. And then exactly. they'll say, all right, then you're fired. And then you say, okay. <laughs> right. And for people who are hyper dependent on the system, that's the end of their life. Right. <laughs> they go into severe depression. Everything they've worked for, the, for their crisis. whole life is now gone. They've, they're done. Yeah. Now for the person who is, is strategic in their methodology and has set it up so that they are 60% independent and 40% dependent, you're still able to fall back on your 60% independency and live and even more so still thrive even when an out, something that you're dependent upon fails you. Right. So that's the key is like Absolutely. being 
still not closing your doors to any type of connection or dependency or relation to another thing, but at the same time not being hyper-dependent and intertwined with something to the extent that if it disappears, it means you disappear too. So, I don't know. I think, I think all of these things are things that people are starting to get a better understanding of and are starting to move towards. Um, but it does, it is a, there's like a step of courage you have to take in pursuing your own, your own person over pursuing like the societal person that everybody around you wants to be. You right. Know? And wants you to be. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think, I, I don't know if we want to like take it to the millennial conversation. Like, yes. I think that's just like, our generation is getting to that point and I just it's partly out of necessity and partly just because there isn't uh there is nowhere for us anymore (laughs) like we are we are the lost kind of surplus generation where there's everything's we're full right (laughs) any everything we taught you to try to achieve to toward or fulfill is either corrupted or or, not available to you and so I don't know it's going to be it's going to be quite an interesting, I think, 40 years here <laughs> coming up in the future because it's going to be a society that's heavy loaded with a lot of kind of older people and not as many younger people. And as that starts to transi- transition where we become in, like we start to become 40, 50, 60, that's going to be some real. And if we, if our planet's around then, right, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but if we get to 40, 50, 60, that's going to be really interesting times because that's going to be the time when all of the we have an excess of elderly people right now right. and a lesser amount of young people and young people are reproducing less than ever before right. and like fertility is down and all that and that is creating an inverted pyramid population structure that once the base of the pyramid which is actually at the top like all the 60 70 mm-hmm. year olds start to die off and the 40-year-olds of today become the Mm 60-year-olds, it's going to be an ever... It's going to be like an exponential drive towards, I think, a more sane society. (laughs) Because we're going to be losing... We're going to have less older people and more younger people again, which is what a healthy society is supposed to be. Right. So, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, like, just millennials in general, our kind of dilemma that we face? What is... Why is there such a... Such a hatred <laughs> for, like, millennials? Why does it seem to be... Like, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like they've decided that millennials have the smallest voice therefore scapegoat you know right that's what it seems like. right it absolutely is and i think that it has always been so when baby boomers were our age you know and they were the young people in society the generation before them published all kinds of articles and you know ridiculous think pieces about how they were the rebel generation ruining everything and you know, they don't get it and they're just uh, messing around and we're over here trying to make things right and they're getting in the way. And there's a lot of animosity and that's just been an ongoing cycle of generations is the younger people getting blamed for things that the older generation has done and cycling onward. So I hope that we don't perpetuate that, but it's probably inevitable. But 
I think something that is difficult um, about the whole generation thing is that it's not it's not really as as that example alludes to it's not really a real thing right it's just a continuation of uh, scapegoating and yeah, it's uh, another, generalizing it's another construct uh, yes that allows us to generalize and blame one another and I think it, it can operate um, somewhat in the other direction um, except we just don't wield the same power is there are a lot of people that there are a lot of millennials that also talk but what um, is that like why why is there like an in, this incessant desire to hate each other <laughs> i don't get it do you like i just don't understand why isn't it like when i was i know when i was a kid i'm like like when you're a kid <laughs> like you want everything you want everyone to work together and be happy right. and make things better like i don't get why there's this such a disdain i think it comes partially from a sort of uh human tendency to be defensive but i think more importantly it comes from this entire economic and social system that we've been talking about this whole time it creates a pressure to conform and to attain these certain things and when we can't and we see you know something changing in the housing market or there not being enough jobs you know we panic and the easiest thing to do is blame someone else. And I feel like that, again, goes back to our dependency conversations. Yeah. <laughs> like it absolutely does. Like, I feel like it, again, goes back to, like, they, like, whenever somebody feels threatened, that's, again, because they're dependent upon something and that thing isn't providing anymore, and so, like... Or the resource feels scarce, yeah, and so then we're scrambling. Or, like, there's an economic it. downturn and there needs to be... It's, like, even with the Russia gate thing. Yeah. <laughs> we like, have to blame there someone. There has to be a scapegoat. There has to be. It's Trump. It's Trump. It's Trump. Right. For two years, it's Trump. It's right. Trump. <laughs> and then no conspiracy. Ah, right. now it's a shit show. Right. And so, like... It's like they have it's like, to have... It's almost like it's something deeper rooted than oh, that. Oh, whoa. Has this been going on all along? It's insane. <laughs> so it's like, at one point... It's at, easier than being accountable yeah. for the way that we have set ourselves up to fail over the last, basically, the last century, I guess. No, but I think you nailed it on the head with what you just said, how it's like a, there's... If something goes bad, it can't be me. And mm-hmm. if it is me, my whole structure of life and reality will fall apart yeah yes (laughs) so it's literally an ego life or death situation for all of these people who have built up these hyper inflated perceptions of themselves which is based on what society and their environment has forced them to become yes and they're so scared of losing what they think is them which is actually their bullshit (laughs) right them their bullshit self they're so terrified of losing their bullshit self and facing the true reality of hard fact that they're unwilling to do it to the extent that they're willing to create a divisive society that goes to the brink of war and right. creates homegrown terrorists that kill 49 people in mosques right. in New Zealand. Like, right. that's where we're at. <laughs> Out of just absolute unwillingness to accommodate the, the realities of the world that we live in and who's here and what we're all doing here. It's infuriating. No, yeah. And I don't know. I think for me, especially like with this podcast that we're doing, I think my overall, my overarching hope would be to, for people to kind of take a step back from what they view as their, who they, what their identity is as themselves and this defensive posture that everybody has where they feel that they have to protect and fight for their whatever it is. Their social self, I guess. Put that, keep it there. Like, keep it in mind. Like, a lot of times what you're trying to fight for is a very good thing, and you mean well by it. And uh, it's 
at the same time, it's taking the other side into account, though, and giving that other side almost more validity than you do to your own opinion. That's like how you maybe you don't agree with them, but at least for a second, try and put yourself into their headspace. At least for a second, if you're a millennial and you're getting like berated by a, a whatever gen mm -hmm. person, just for as they're shitting on you. <laughs> Like try and put yourself in their in their eyes and see why like why are they shitting on me? Right. And a lot of times you can be like, oh, I see why they're shitting on me. They're shitting on me because they have these expectations and these right. dependencies and and they believe this is yeah. what is important in society yeah. and in a person's life. And when you're able, and if the idea the super ideal is, then they also do that for you. Right, they vice put versa. In your shoes, and with that, sure. that's how real change and cooperation happens right because i think the if you ask for the opposite of that or the inverse of it i think that a lot of times when millennials are very frustrated and say things like oh i wish all these baby boomers would just die off and stuff those kind of comments are coming from uh it's a reflex a, a place reflex. of it's a reflex a defensive reflex but it also it doesn't quite mean it's, it doesn't allow enough nuance when you phrase it that way. Because I think, uh, at least for myself, and I think other young people, the frustration towards baby boomers is not the frustration toward everyone born between these and these years, you know, necessarily, because as I said, the generations are arbitrary. You know, I'm not mad at someone like, I don't know, our parents or like my mom. Like, I'm not mad at my mom, the kindergarten teacher from a middle-class family in LA. Yeah. Like, for being a baby boomer. No. I'm mad at, like, for example, in the legal field, there's a lot of older white male judges and lawyers who are refusing to retire and refusing to make way for new ideas and for new people to be in charge. And they're, they're reducing the, the inclusivity and honestly, the, uh, the progress of that field by occupying all the spots at the top. A lot of people are angry at that doesn't mean they're angry at every single person who happens to be in their 60s and 70s or something. You know, they're, they have a specific anger that if we could talk about it with more nuance and talk about it with more patience, we could see, okay, what is it exactly that we're frustrated with? Rather than just, I'm just tired of every single, it's literally just tweets, think pieces, and just boring posts into the online void stating these big dramatic things and that's the tea and then everybody's like yes we love it like yeah. i'm gonna like that retweet it it's such a simple way to that makes me feel angry and validated yeah and that's just not the way to have a conversation and no. it never has been no and it doesn't produce any anything positive from it other than a chattering <laughs> echo chamber of exactly. bullshit like when you're on Twitter, I don't have a Twitter, and I never have. And there's a like a very significant reason for that, and that's I don't give a f I don't want to <laughs> give less of a shit what somebody has to say in 180 characters or whatever right. the fucking character limit is now. Like right. I don't that you're not conveying anything of importance to me with that short of a statement. So that, like, if you want to have a conversation about something, like this is a great way to do it right <laughs> sitting down for an hour and talking yeah. or for three hours like the joe rogan podcast does a lot of right. or, or writing about things yeah or, right yeah writing a book writing a multiple page like excerpt on something that isn't based in in incentive right. <laughs> or talking to people that aren't 
your age. Yeah. I have friends who are in their 40s, 50s. I'm friends with women who are literally in their 80s. Yeah. Like I met them through my mom, through her friends and stuff, and we are actually friends. And they're just these incredible, interesting people that offer me a different view of what it's like to be in that sort of age group yeah. or that category. And, to, yeah, and, and to, I think I offer them to a new way of viewing people like me and people mm, my age. And absolutely. I think that's growth and that's connection. Absolutely. And I mean, it's another way to look at it is like the, like people have a tendency to go towards the comfortable thing and the, the, it, it just, there's no good or bad. There's no, you know, right choice. It's really just a matter of, do you want to learn right now? Or do you want to feel good and comfy inside and happy? If you want to feel good and comfy and happy inside, go listen to somebody who has your same point of view and right. continue, continue the echo chamber. Right. And you'll feel good and you'll feel like, yeah, fuck Trump. You know, you'll feel good about yourself. Like, which is like such not a hot take guys. No, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry at liberals. Like, and I'm a very, I would consider myself a leftist, yeah, me but, too. but I have like, no time for this sort of, uh, well, yeah, I wouldn't consider myself anything, but yes, right. I, come I mean, from the left I would, and out the uh, end and out <laughs> the other. Yeah. Uh, but basically beyond those constructions of Democrat Republican, but I find that to be exhausting that that's some kind of satisfying take that people can have. Well, it's just not construct. Like, it's, it doesn't do anything. No, it, it makes you feel good. No, that's the whole point I'm bringing up about like, like for all of, and to bring it back around to what we were orig originally talking about about um, our high school and college, like what has happened, to bring it just like back around fully. I had the choice. Like for me, I could my like I could have gone to UC Santa Cruz. That was one place I was looking at. I was look. I mean, I was looking at all the UCs in California, like UC Berkeley, UCLA, UC. But anyways, UC Santa Cruz is probably one of the most lefty, liberal colleges, like, in California. And, I mean, it's in the center of pot-smoking USA, right. you know, like, the whole nine yards. It's got everything you're looking for if you're on the left side of the spectrum. And that's where I come from. And then my other option was going to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is in central California. A lot of, a huge agricultural community, right. a lot of farmers, a lot of people from middle California who are definitely Republican and mm -hmm. on the far right end of the spectrum. I mean, we had people like hanging like two years before I went to Cal Poly, there was a incident where like a fraternity or some like there, like there was a fraternity on campus that had the Confederate flag plastered around everywhere inside of their, their house. And I, I wasn't in any fraternity, but I snuck into a frat party at their place and I was horrified. Right. <laughs> it was horrifying. And there's like two years before I, like what I was saying before, two years before I got to Cal Poly, there was like a noose with like a yep. doll, you know, like shit like that, like complete, like literal 1920s racism, <laughs> like right. out of the worst racist place you could imagine. And like, that's in like 20. That's some 1950s. Yeah. And so like, basically like the point I'm trying to make is I could have gone to Santa Cruz or Cal Poly and I knew Cal Poly was definitely out of my comfort zone in terms of what I believe in and what I how I feel and I made a deliberate and distinctive choice to go into the place that I was uncomfortable with over the place that I was comfortable with why because I want I'm not going to college to be comfortable I'm not going to college to be in my safe space I'm going to college to be fucking destroyed like I'm going to college to have my world 
you know, rattled and to truly shake out what I believe in and find out if it's if it's based in truth or if it's based in bias. And the only way to grow and learn is to be put is to put yourself into environments that are opposite of what you are and go right. into the uncomfortable place. Go into the darkness, find out what is there, you know? Right. Don't Oh, nah, I'm, it's like, it's too cold outside. I don't want to go for a run. It's, you know, you can find all these excuses for choosing comfort over learning. Right. And, and I think that there are, I mean, even to that point, there and is. Like, that balanced there is, my mind. Like going to Cal Poly literally balanced my mind from sure. going completely left to understanding, at least understanding from some type of a way why people on the right believe some of the things they do. And now... Right. I am able to see both perspectives and want the cooperation and unification of both, you know? Right. And I think, I think that what is, makes that more complicated maybe. I mean, for me, the reason that I like to pay attention to what the quote unquote other side or really even anywhere else on the spectrum that's not where I am, what they're thinking, it's part of that going into the darkness because you, I feel like you can just formulate your arguments better. Like, yeah. I don't want to believe the things I believe because of some gut feeling that's based on someone who I respect telling me that that's what I should think. I want to make sure that it's well-reasoned yeah, because when someone confronts me on it, I'd like to be able to argue my point and make a good, you know, a good case for why I think what I think. And you can't do that unless you listen to other perspectives. At the same time, I can respect that depending on who you are and where you come from. Like, for example, if you have grown up in a place where you've always been uncomfortable, um, whether because of racism or violence, and you've always experienced that, you know, you may think, hey, look, I've had quite enough of that. I don't need to put myself in a space where I'm going to continually oh, be yeah. targeted Absolutely. for this, yeah. you know, or that. But for most of us, like a lot of us, there are things we can still stand to learn from from confronting people that we don't like or who seem to make us uncomfortable on the surface. Um, but with some, you know, I don't want to speak entirely that, okay, like you don't need your, you know, any kind of, uh, safe space or anything like that. Like, of course you shouldn't hide from any other perspectives, but it's okay to value spaces where you feel, um, heard and respected. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. But like something that I really benefited from at my college and I went to a quote unquote liberal, you know, like left ish. Um, liberal arts college um, but there was a lot of conflict and that's what I most liked about my experience in terms of growing was every conflict that we experienced like we occupied the administrative building because we were protesting a lot of different things some of which were the you know continued exclusion of minority groups for any other reason other than just wanting the numbers and the pamphlets to look like we're diverse and not wanting a you know black or African studies program, not wanting to fund um, these teachers and these professors that were doing this wonderful work, and wanting to continue to cooperate with donors who were you know known to have been racist or even some of them had been uh, physically violent towards students um, in one case. And there's a lot of conflict that went on, and we had to confront people that we really didn't agree with you know, whoever it was, that I had issues with other student groups, other cultural clubs that became very personal because in a small school, that's how it goes. And those things were immensely frustrating, but I feel like those were the points where I grew the most in my college experience because I was able to confront people that I didn't agree with and 
develop and add more nuance to my own points of view and sort of understand where people are coming from because that's honestly why I think that everybody should have to take a sociology class at one point or another because that's what it tells you. Everybody has beliefs and they have reasoning, logical or not, that is very strong behind those beliefs. So the more you can understand that reality, the sooner you can say, okay, so I'm not just gonna say, oh, everybody's stupid who thinks that. I need to recognize that there's a reason, there's historical reasons, there's political reasons why they might have that view. And that's how beliefs work for every single one of us, yeah. you know? And being able to recognize that truth helps you sort of be willing to have these conversations or be willing to confront these points of view in whatever way um, to grow and develop your own perspective and seek some kind of unity among people, right? And that, that's why I really value sociology, I think. It's because it's, it's not a politicized thing. Yeah. It's not a left thing or a right thing. It's a reality about the way yeah. people operate in the world. I think you're absolutely right. No, I think you, you're spot on. Um, I agree 100%. I think everyone should take a sociology class, 100%. Um, but, and I, and I, I fully, yeah, no, I'm 100% on board with everything you said. But I think there's a, maybe another, um, another kind of height that you can reach from the perspective uh, where it's like, so yeah, you have your belief, right? You have maybe, you have a spectrum, right? Everything kind of, is a spectrum of a polarity of some regard. So like there's one end of the spectrum and there's the other end of the spectrum, right? So maybe you find yourself somewhere on that spectrum, right? You find yourself whatever to the, on the left side of the spectrum, whatever that spectrum not, might be. It doesn't even have to be political. You're on the left, you're on the side that thinks that like this society did this instead of doing that, whatever it is. Point being is everything you're said, you're saying is correct. You want to, one of the main reasons for seeing the other perspective is to bolster your own defense of your own belief, right? You want to learn the ins and outs of the opposing kind of perspective in order to make it so that you can be ready for those, those attacks when they come towards your perspective. And I think that's 100% perfect, great, and what you should be doing 100%. But the kind of next level, I think, is being able to split your your kind of consciousness to an extent where okay i've decided my ego or my who i am as my manifested me <laughs> whoever that is my ego believes is at this point on the spectrum but rem try and like create a separation within your consciousness or within your mind whatever you want to call it where you're able to kind of leave that perspective behind and you and remove yourself from the spectrum altogether so like right you have your your like this is where my belief sits and then you pull away but and completely you're yeah but completely remove yourself from that belief and then view the spectrum view yourself as on being it. on that spectrum of that certain orientation but then see the overarching perspective at large so you're not um you're not going to the other side at, at a belief and ego point of view, you're going to the other side to get the ins and outs of their argumentation, bring it back to your side, almost like a like a spy, infi right. infiltrating the opposing network and bringing back information to your side in order to help it in your defense against the other, right? right? So what I'm trying to say is like, 
re remove the idea of defense or attack or right. like remove prosecution and defense out of the linguistic part of it and instead of it being this is my point of view this is the other view and they're in a battle between each other that's like that that's the ego oriented that's being in and of the spectrum right. instead of being in and of the spectrum view the spectrum from a third point of party point of view and see the spectrum for the for the truth that all parts of it hold if that makes sense right so you're not going to the other side to try and gain knowledge to defend yourself. You're going to the other side, like, honestly, to try and see how they are getting, like, why do they believe that? Yeah. <laughs> like, why, from a human perspective, do they believe that this is this way and this is this? And then if you're able to remove yourself enough from your own, like, anchored belief, you can actually, like, see, you might not agree with the logical steps they're making, but, but you can, you can at least see how that they're not... They don't, they're not evil most of the time. They're not like, I mean, unless you're like killing people, you know, there's a lot of obviously right, sure. evil there's, people in the there's world. There's a limit to what we're, yeah. yeah but. but like most 90% of people who hold a belief, whether it's like, I'm a Republican. They think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. And if you truly try and like put yourself in there, like, oh, it's like, it's a mom and pop's family from like Alabama. Oh, like here's their kid. Like try and become, try and literally personalize yourself with it. So like, you're not trying to defeat them. You're not trying to get information from them. You're not trying to, there's no battle happening. You're purely observing like, right. oh, like they have a child named like Bobby who goes to school every day. Oh, like they live in a community that literally only has white people, but like right. they like all these white people are like, they make loaves of bread for each other on the Saturdays. And like, there's all these little like nuances that right. are left out of the, the human parts sure. are left out of, of intellectual discussions. And so my, well, actually every conversation I ever have about things that frustrate me, yeah. like politically or whatever, I always end it by saying it, I don't like it, but I get it. Yeah. So it's like, if you can attach that human aspect to the conversation, firstly, that's like the most important thing. It's like, yes, I understand you hate Trump. Yes, I understand you hate Hillary Clinton. Whatever you might hate, I understand. Or I understand you hate both. Yeah, I understand whatever your hates and your yays and your nays are. Yes. I get it. But like, first off and foremost, hey, John, like, how you doing, dude? Want to get a cup of coffee? You know, like even if... Everybody has a friend that they completely disagree with in every way possible, but they're still your friend. Why? Not because you guys agree, like, intellectually, but because you're both humans and you're friends and you enjoy each other's company and being there with each other. That is the, that is what is lacking. That is what's missing in all these conversations. I, Trump could be Satan incarnate. He's also a human. He also has children. He also has people who adore him. He also is a human. He also, you know, eats breakfast, you know, things like that. Like, just like he, you can create a symbol out of, out of a human when, and strip them of their humanity altogether, which is, which takes away the cooperative capability. It right. takes away any ability to be able to, work together with another person when you strip them of their humanity and and they might be deserving of being stripped of their humanity you know but well, like, or maybe they're comfortable being sort of this idea and not a person yeah and they are constantly stripping people of their legal rights and yeah their, their actual humanity but i mean like every day and it, it, 
like there, there's differing degrees of awfulness, you know. Right. But like the I, the overarching point I'm trying to make is if you can at least get in touch, even like, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous, but like Hitler is the, probably one of the worst people to ever live, right? Even him, he was a he is a person of some kind, and so at a certain level, it's like, okay, why? Like I personally can't see why Hitler would do the things he does, but he also was a human that lived. That there was a reason. Well, in, in his, his mind. mind, there's a reason for whatever why he was doing what he did, and if someone could have sat him down, you know, and talked to him on a personal level, like if you could have an hour long conversation with him, you might. 100% disagree that you know killing people is definitely wrong Hitler <laughs> especially in the way you're doing it and like world domination is really bad but I can at least like you were saying earlier I can at least see the leaps in logic that this person is making to get to where they're they're thinking you know and I don't think with a person like Hitler you would ever be able to like come to a place where it would be good you know he's just a very awful person but at least you have to at least give every person that first initial like piece of well, I think discussion that, i think that what maybe might get to that point in a less like sorry if that came across any other way than what we're trying to intend it as but yeah no that i was, think that a b another way to like to Hit paint that hitler is an awful person <laughs> right another way another way to um, i was just trying to use the most extreme example possible well here's another extreme example is something in sociology that everybody probably knows about or psychology is um, like the Stanford prison experiments. Yeah. You know, you put people in a situation and you think that, Oh, I would never do this, this, and this, there are limits on what I would do. But if you put people in an environment where they, everything around them is encouraging them to be violent towards prisoners, to be a white supremacist, yeah. to be whatever it is, when you're in an environment and there's no rules except for things in, that are pointing you towards a certain way of being, anybody can turn very quickly and do things that they would have sworn they would never do to another person, to other human beings, including violence. Yeah. And the fact is, the human, everyone's human consciousness is capable of turning that way. And so that's sort of the other side of that is like, if we are all human, like we all have the capacity to do some really bad things yeah. if we're put in the right environment. So therefore, you kind of have to recognize that not that you're better than that you're no better than other people, but that we all have the capacity to be any number of things. Yeah, that's mainly what based I was, on our environment, and our experiences. Yeah, no, that's what I was trying to. You put it in a lot better of a way than I did. But it, the point I'm trying to get at is that there is like a the there's a um, kind of there's like an understanding, uh, you don't, again, a hundred percent can be opposed in your, who you are as a person to what somebody is doing, but to have that, that third party capability to remove yourself from your structured belief system neutrally and neutrally view just like, how did that person get to that point of view and actually see it and not be like, wow, he's like, I can't believe that he like fuck what the fuck it's more like oh fuck I can see how he got there that's terrifying <laughs> that that they took steps x y and z and did that but I at least can see now how they eventually got to that part you know right. and when you're able to do that you actually know a person like you're able to get into their psyche and that is like the key to the <laughs> to the chamber of secrets right <laughs> you know? in a learning experience of how not to let yourself go down the same 
route, yeah. right? Because that's what a lot of people have done is, Absolutely. and that any of us are capable of doing is yeah. uh, falling into that echo chamber where everybody around you is validating your opinions to the point where you'll take actions that can be really harmful to Absolutely. other people. And you can't know that, you need to recognize that we all have that weakness in us, I think. Um, whether we'd like to, it's nice to have good and bad, but I think that human psychology and sociology indicate that it, it's pretty easy for anyone to yeah. go any number of ways. And it's like, you have good and bad, right? And you want to orient yourself in the good, but that doesn't mean not understanding the bad. <laughs> like you want to, the only way to orient yourself in good is to know what bad is. <laughs> you can't right. like, I'm doing good things. How are you doing good things? Uh, I just think I am. No, right. I'm doing good things in relation to this bad thing. Sure. So to just denounce the bad thing all outright and to never try to understand it is doing a disservice to yourself and others and it makes your own position a little hazy. and yeah and actually like handicapping you to sure. a certain extent in your ability to communicate and be effective in terms of kind of poignancy <laughs> sure. anyways i think we've been rambling for a good amount of time here um I think we covered some really awesome topics. Is there anything else that you can think of off the top of your head that you want to cover in the last few minutes here? Or how are you feeling? I think we've gone in a million directions. And hopefully it's made directions. some semblance of sense. But we just wanted to let people get an idea of um, the way we think about things, the way we like to talk about things, and where we're coming from in this experiment that we're sort of engaging in here. Yeah, so. and the overarching, I think, um, kind of ideal with Howard's talking again like and I know for, I don't know if this is for you as well but for me personally I like I cherish these conversations because we're able to talk so freely from so many different perspectives and not be pinned to a um, kind of a death board or whatever right. you know where it's the ultimate area of freedom of thought and that is going away very quickly in today's society. And so to be able to provide a very tiny space where all thought is welcome and not necessarily acted upon, but at least thought through and understood right. like we've been talking about in the last few minutes here, I think that if we can achieve that, then we have kind of hit our mark for what we're going for. Right. That's why this is under deconstruction. We're breaking things down, but we're also recognizing that our own ideas are under construction absolutely right and we are engaging in a reasoning process here and we encourage everyone to do that the same absolutely yeah and um i think with for me personally with this podcast and i think also for you um i would love to be able to like have conversations with anybody that listens to this podcast absolutely or anybody that has opposing ideas or especially actually people that have ideas that like for example if you're screaming at the at the headset or the whatever you're listening to this on if you're just screaming the whole time like who are these dumb people like i want to like let's chat. please you're the person we want to hear from so like put that in whatever comment section that this may find itself and uh hopefully we can get back to you and we'd love to uh continue these discussions into greater depths on maybe discussion boards or wherever it may be keep the conversation going absolutely thanks for listening yeah thank you for listening everybody this has been under deconstruction i'm bucky i'm izzy and thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next time <laughs>